We are starting a new campaign today. It is called A La Carte Christianity. I think I spelled that right. Uh, I had to like I had to Google this more than more than one should Google this to make sure that I was spelling it right. Okay, because it's a weird word. Uh, you're like, yeah, there are dashes in there. I, according to Webster's, I don't think so. All right. So it's a la carte Christianity we're calling this new campaign. This is a phrase that I first heard from Crawford Loritz and an interview that he did with Andy Stanley. I've linked you to it in the first day of the devotional. Fantastic interview. Uh, Crawford Loritz is a retired pastor, really wise, uh, really, there's a lot of good stuff in that interview, so I encourage you to check it out. Um, but in this interview, he talked about it, and he used this phrase of what he calls a la carte Christianity. He talks about how we, in the Christian faith, or within the church, we tend to approach Christianity like an a la carte menu. We try to get out of the Christian faith the things that we like and the things that we want without taking it wholesale for everything that Jesus had to say. So what we kind of do is we, we come in and we order up just a... Uh, I'll order up a little bit of salvation, a little bit of eternal security so I know where I'm going. I'll take a little bit of financial blessing on the side. And God, if I can, I'll have, can I get also just like your sovereignty in the global affairs, right? In the big things that I can't really control? To which the waiter then responds like, how about, how about God's sovereignty over your will <laughs> in your day-to-day life and affairs? And like, no, 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 thanks. I'll pass on that. I kind of want to maintain control of my own decisions, my will, my own life, and the things that I want to do. And so we approach Christianity like that. Like we're sitting down at a restaurant, waiter brings out the menu, and we just read scripture. We approach our faith in that sense, where we say, I'll take this, but then when I come to some of the harder things, the difficult things, the things where scripture talks about suffering for God, the things that scripture talks about suffering and surrendering our will, to the will of God. Giving up control, obedience, things like that. Those are the things that we leave, whereas we take the things that we like. And that's just not the way that Christianity works. Jesus didn't really leave that option open to us. (laughs) Christianity is to be a wholesale commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord. Because if we approach Christianity from this a la carte perspective where we get to pick and choose the things that we like, what we are doing, and it's probably not intentional, it's not something that we're really aware of, but what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up as the central authority or as the locus of authority, as Tim Keller puts it. We become the ones who are judging and assessing Jesus to say, Jesus, like, what aspects of what you said are true and do I like? And we're not just taking Jesus himself as Lord, as the truth, as the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus himself said. But the reality is when we read scripture, he just didn't really leave that open to us. And I get why we do this, right? We all understand how we get there. In our modern American culture, living in unrestricted In unrestricted freedom in any capacity is one of our deepest values. It is one of our ultimate goods. And freedom is absolutely necessary for human thriving. But when we approach Scripture from this perspective of me judging Jesus, or me being the one who holds Jesus on this platter and says, like, I'll take this, but not this, we're not surrendering to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. 
And again, we get this because we're bombarded with ads all the time that tell us that you are, the customer is always right, <laughs> right? And so I'm the customer when it comes to my faith, so I'm always right. It doesn't work that way. There's one ad out there now. I believe it's for car insurance. It says uh, <laughs> you can customize your car insurance. If you watch the college March Madness tournament, you're seeing this ad all over the place. I think it's for Liberty Mutual Insurance. Maybe it's not car insurance. I don't know. Whatever. But it says you can customize your insurance so you only pay for what you need, right? And my son loves those commercials because there's usually an emu or something doing something ridiculous. But, but that's the idea, right? Is you get to pick everything that you want. We can approach pretty much everything in life like this a la carte approach right now and say, I want this, I don't want this. I want this, I don't want this. And we are the masters in control of what we choose and what we like. So we take these values and then when we try to apply them to our Christian faith, again, it just doesn't work that way. That's more consumeristic. That's more Western culture. It's not the option that Jesus left open to us. And now we all do this. We all do this to a degree. Okay. What we're going to see today is that the discipleship to Christ, this growth in spiritual formation, is a lifelong process of constantly learning to surrender more and more of ourselves to Jesus. That as we are confronted with ourselves approaching Christianity with an a la carte approach, like we read in Scripture that something doesn't align with the way we view Jesus or the way we think or the way we're acting, that's where the rubber meets the road, and we must decide, okay, am I Lord, or is Jesus Lord? And we all come across these moments throughout our life. And the big decision is then, am I going to approach Christianity from an a la carte perspective and just take the things that I like, or am I going to surrender them to Christ more and more? So that's what discipleship is. It's a constant growth in learning to surrender more and more of yourself to Jesus. Those areas that we have neglected or put aside or just intentional, intentionally ignored. Learning to surrender more and more of those to the Lordship of Jesus. Because throughout Scripture, we see a number of texts. <laughs> a number of times. We're going to focus on one of Jesus' statements today. But we're going to see the Apostle Paul say this a number of times uh, throughout his epistles. Where... The words that he uses, they're not an a la carte approach. They're not a half-hearted. They're not like a, uh, I'm kind of hedging my bets here with this Jesus thing. I'm not really sure. That, that is not the approach that we get from the Apostle Paul. And that is not the approach that Jesus left open to his disciples, and we're going to see that today. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, he says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, these words become so familiar to us because this is one of the most commonly memorized texts. But just like read it afresh again. Like, I have been crucified. So if you're in the first century and you heard this, and you have seen people walking in and as you walk in and out of Jerusalem, hanging on a cross, perhaps you even witnessed Jesus' crucifixion, his brutal beating, his humiliation, his death hanging on the cross. This is what Paul says I have been actually been crucified with him. So that I no longer live. Paul, the old man, the old person, doesn't live anymore. <laughs> I have been so transformed, so renewed, so changed, that I'm a different person altogether. He has so surrendered himself to Jesus, to the will of Jesus, that he can say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
That's not the language of someone who's approaching Christianity from an a la carte perspective. This is the language of someone who has gone wholly in to his life in Christ. This is the life I now live in the body. This isn't just some like future thing. This is now. The life I now live in my body. It is incarnate. It's real. It's in his everyday, moment-by-moment life experience. It's when he went to work making tents after he wrote this letter. It's as he sat in prison suffering in pain. It's as he dealt with his health issue, whatever it was, the thorn in his flesh that he talks about and he prays for Jesus to take away and Jesus responds, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. It is real life, moment-by-moment stuff where Paul says, I have surrendered all of myself to Jesus. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's also deeply rooted in his theology that Jesus gave himself for me. He died for me. He gave everything for me. Jesus, God in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, would give everything for me. And I'm, how can I then just sit there and be like, yeah, well, Jesus, you can have like this. <laughs> you can have a couple hours on Sunday. You can have this one little area of my family time or my work life. Like, eh, you get a little bit. But the rest of me, I'm keeping for me. Whoa. As you explore, as you ponder and meditate and reflect on how Jesus gave himself for you, it's the only logical solution. Say, I'm going to give all of myself to him. Next, Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me, (laughs) to live is Christ. So he says this in the context of a much broader conversation. But for him to live is Christ. So if he's going to go on living, he doesn't know. He's in prison right now as he's writing Philippians. So he might die any day now is kind of it. But if he is to go on living, he's going to keep writing these letters to the church in Philippi and others. For him to live is Christ. That, again, Paul no longer, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives within, within me. So he has fully surrendered his will to the will of Christ. So he says, if I'm going to keep living, it's going to be to promote the work of Christ, to further the kingdom of Christ. Everything, his energy, his effort, his, his desires, his attention, everything is focused on that. So that even while he's in prison, he's going to sit and he's going to write letters. And he's going to talk about joy and the ability to rejoice even in his sufferings because he's suffering like Jesus. When you have that all-encompassing perspective, it just totally changes all of the circumstances that you walk through. And him, for him to even say, to die is gain. <laughs> Again, totally changes your perspective on life and the world, that even if he dies, even if the worst end ultimately comes about, he's with Jesus. <laughs> he's like, I'm not in prison anymore. I'm not suffering from these physical ailments anymore. I don't have these worries and burdens on my shoulders anymore. So now I'm with Jesus in his presence. But if I'm going to keep on living, it's going to be for Christ. These are the words of a man who has fully surrendered his life to Jesus. And he has the confidence, he has the purpose of following Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, he says. The old has gone, the new is here. Again, this language of you are totally changed. You're a new creation. You're not just like eh, a little different. No, like you're changed. You're a whole new person in Jesus. The old has gone, the new 
is here. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says, do not lie to each other. Why? So this is in the broader context of just ethical imperatives and how we're supposed to live. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So why should you live an ethical life? Well, you're different now. You're that new creation. <laughs> you're wholly made new. This isn't just like a, I'm going to be moral type thing. No, it's in line with your new nature in Jesus when you are living out the moral imperatives of Scripture. It's not just to try harder. It's, a, again, you've been made new, so live like it. You've taken off the old self. So he uses this language of like, like getting dressed in the morning. Like you take off your old clothes that are dirty, stinky, smelly after a long, hard day's work. You've taken off that old self and you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So this new self that Christ has given you is constantly being renewed. It's constantly being changed. So, these are not the words of somebody who is approaching Christianity from an a la carte perspective. He's approaching Christianity from a perspective of, I'm all in. <laughs> I'm diving in completely with Jesus because he has died for me. He's given everything for me. He's made me new. I'm completely different. I'm not hedging my bets. I'm all in with Jesus. We see this even in the Old Testament, which Jesus quotes as the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel. This is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your strength. So we can parse out what those mean individually. But at the end of the day, it means all of who you are. <laughs> All of your nature, everything that you are, should be devoted in love and devotion and service to God. And again, there's no room for this like, oh, I'll give you my mind. But my financial life, I'm going to keep that to myself. My work life, I'm going to keep that for me. Nope, there's no room for that. All of yourself, all of your inner life, which dictates and determines your Goals, your ambitions, your dreams, your work life, your family life, all of it is to be devoted to God in love and service to him. Even the commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain likely means bearing the name of Yahweh means to represent him in all things. Meaning like he has put his stamp of approval on you. Like you're his now. And so now your actions don't just represent you anymore. They represent God. Like a child who represents their father and their mother. How their actions represent the family in some way, right? That's our relationship to God. Okay, those are just the quick hitters, and I kind of got, I kind of ran with those a little more than I thought I would. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you guys are like, that's it? Oh my gosh. <sighs> That could be the sermon. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I cut this down a good bit yesterday because I, man, when you give me three weeks off too, I come locked and loaded for the first week back. And I'm like, that's way too much, man. This is, I'm going to be talking for 45 minutes if I do that. So 
Uh, totally changed directions a little bit yesterday. Okay, so we're going to read just Luke 9, 23 to 24. Uh, Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, and they're likely, the disciples are likely all thinking like, okay, great. Like, Peter confessed it. Jesus didn't deny it. He's the Messiah. Now, now things are going to start to turn. Remember, the perspective of the Messiah was that he's going to be this earthly king. He's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and he's going to restore Israel to its former glory. That's their perspective of what the Messiah is going to be. So he's going to come in. They think, okay, now he's going to raise the army. We've seen him do all these cool miracles. We've seen him, like, raise people from the dead. Imagine what that guy can do on a battlefield. This is going to be great. Uh, Jesus is going to take over now, and Israel is going to be restored to their former glory. Now that Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, he's accepted it, okay, let's go. Then, right after that, in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus tells them that he's going to suffer and die <laughs> and be raised. So as you read through the gospels, you're like, man, why, why were the disciples surprised? Like when Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus died, Jesus told them so many times, it gives me hope for myself, right? Because how many times do I need to hear things from Jesus to be like, okay, I got it now. I got it. Time and time again, I just need to be reminded of all the stuff that I forgot. Jesus tells them he's actually, he's going to suffer and die. And then he goes into this conversation with them where he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple. So all of Jesus' disciples are like, that's me. Like, we're the ones who have stuck by you when everybody else has abandoned you. We've been with you for three years. Like, we're following you around. Like, we're in with you, Jesus. I'm a disciple of yours. I say, and note the contrast here. Again, they're thinking, like, now's our time to rise to power and authority and a place of privilege and honor, sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. Like, we're here. Jesus is the Messiah. He's coming. He's the conquering king. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, Deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. The juxtaposition is, is pretty dramatic there, right? From like, we're going to rule, to, oh, <laughs> you want us to die a brutal, painful, humiliating death with you. Oof. This doesn't sound fun anymore, Jesus. <laughs> this doesn't sound like what we want. But Jesus had just said that this is my path to go to suffer and to die and then to rise from the dead. So Jesus tells them, if you want to follow me, be my disciple, be one who is under me, who has surrendered their life to me and agreed to follow me in my way of living and my teaching, they have to take up their cross daily. So this isn't even just like a one and done thing. This is a daily thing. Like every day. Pick up the cross, which is, again, a humiliation. It is suffering. It is pain. It is a commitment to following the way of Jesus. Because that's the way Jesus went. So daily, we pick up our cross. Say, Lord, I'm surrendered to you. What are you calling me to today? Even if it is suffering and pain or like Paul, imprisonment and trials and persecutions, let's go. This gets in the weeds a little bit, but the tenses here are important. Where it says, you must deny themselves and take up their cross. Those verbs are in a tense that suggests viewing the whole action as a whole. So this is just what you do. Like this is something you do on a daily basis, right? And follow me. 
Follow me implies continuing to do so day in and day out, right? Like the, the first two just look at like, this is what you do. It's like big action, big, big, uh, big picture, viewing the whole action through one lens. And then follow me is something that you do consistently. You persist in and you do day in, day out, all the time. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, he says. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So now we get to the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. If in your perspective of life, you are trying to cling to the things that you desire, that you long for, your own ambitions, your will, instead of surrendering to the will of Jesus, Jesus promises that you will lose it. That that is not the way to abundant life, actually. In him is life, he has said. And he came to give us life that we might live it to the fullest. But, I don't want to just focus on the negative here. (laughs) The positive is really, really good. (laughs) Whoever loses their life for me will save it. He's not only talking about just like one death and resurrection thing. He's talking about daily, remember? Picking up your cross daily. So surrendering your will to Jesus daily, committing to his way, to following him, you save it. You, You find life. You find true, whole, resurrection life. It's so counterintuitive that in our surrender we find whole life and fullness of life and resurrection life. Whereas everything in our nature says, like, I need to take this for myself. I need to earn more money. I need to get the job that I want. I need to achieve the family that I want. I need to achieve and do all of this stuff for myself. Jesus says, no. The real way to a full life is just surrender to my will. And when you do that, something changes in you internally. Daryl Bach, in his commentary on this, he says, the essence of discipleship is humility before God. That humility expresses itself as self-denial. Taking up the cross daily and following Jesus means approaching ministry in the world as he did. Giving your life in service to God and to others. It is in self-denial that we find our life. Again, he's not just talking about one death and then you find salvation. This word, will save it, refers to now. You can live in this now, this new resurrection life of Christ now. He goes on, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet to lose or to forfeit their very self? That's such a good question, right? (laughs) What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? What is your heart desiring? Is it just the, the bigger house? Is it just the comforts and luxuries of this world? Is it just the better car? Is it the things of this world that we desire? Or is it Jesus himself? Because what good is it for us to gain the whole world and then forfeit our very self? We've often heard this likely translated soul, so we often think like what we're talking about here is eternity. Like, 
I don't think so. I think we're talking about here and now, right now. That <laughs> what good is it to gain everything and then lose yourself in the midst of it? And we've all heard stories of this. People gaining incredible wealth, prosperity, achieving all of their goals that we would look at and view as success. But then we begin to hear stories of their inner life and how they're anxious, how they've alienated the people around them who they love the most. And their inner life just falls apart. They're angry. They fall off. They fall off the rails at any impulse that sets them off. We've all heard these stories. We've all seen these movies of the rich and famous, for example, who have gained the whole world, but they've lost themselves. They have no inner peace. They have no security. They're not being transformed to look more like Jesus. That's not what we're to pursue. Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So here Jesus is looking forward to his second coming. So if we're just seeking to gain the world, and therefore we're ashamed of Jesus to surrender ourselves fully to him, where we think, I've got it figured out, Jesus, I don't need you. I can do this my own way. We're not following him by carrying the cross. Specifically in this context, he's talking to the disciples who are going to be persecuted. They're going to be put in prison. They're going to be threatened with death because they're followers of Jesus. He says, if, you, if you're ashamed of me, then when I return and establish my kingdom in full, I'm going to be ashamed of you. That thought in and of itself terrifies me. And I hope it does you as well. That when Jesus returned, if he looks at our life and he says, you were ashamed of me. Those words from Jesus I can't bear. <laughs> and so we live now for Jesus by surrendering to him. Even if it comes with shame, even if it comes with the rest of the culture looking at us and thinking, you guys are missing out. <laughs> You're missing out on having all this stuff, all the luxuries, all the safeties, all the securities. You're giving all this money away. You could have used that for yourself. But if we really believe abundant life is found in Christ and in carrying our cross daily, then there's no shame in that. Because when Jesus returns and we see him face to face, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, instead of being ashamed of us. <laughs> that makes it all worth it. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So likely, band, you guys can come and get set up. This is referring to the transfiguration that is about to take place in the next few verses in Luke's gospel. It's referring to Peter, James, and John who are going to see Jesus in all of his glory. And in, so, in doing so, he's confirming to them that, again, he is the Messiah, that he's worth this laying down your life for, all of this sacrifice for, this daily picking up your cross, carrying your cross to follow him. He's worth it because he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And when he does return and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, all the sacrifice, all the self-denial will be worth it. 
Because we're not just pursuing life for tomorrow. We're pursuing life for tomorrow and eternity with Christ in his kingdom. And so our big idea, discipleship to Jesus begins with complete surrender to the lordship of Jesus. It's a daily picking up your cross, surrendering yourself, surrendering your will to his, learning to do so more and more, finding areas of our life that we haven't surrendered to Christ and surrendering them to him fully. That is discipleship. But it begins with this first declaration of Jesus, I am yours. I am surrendering myself fully to you. Without that declaration, without that motivation and drive in your heart, discipleship won't happen. It just won't. It can't happen. Because there will come times in your life where this will be challenged. And you will be faced with the decision, am I going to follow my way or am I going to follow Jesus' way? We all are daily. (laughs) And if we don't have this intention, we never will follow Jesus' way. We'll keep following our own way. This is the opposite of an a la carte Christianity. It is a life wholly surrendered to Christ. Lord, Jesus, we thank you for giving all of yourself to us. That, Lord, you died in our place to save us, to redeem us. While we were sinners, you died for us. We were enemies of the cross, and you died for us to save us and to bring us into your presence. And so, Lord, in response to you, we declare first that you are Lord. We surrender all of our life to you. Take our will. It's not just mine, it's yours. Conform my will to yours, Lord, so that what I want is what you want. My greatest desires are your greatest desires. Lord, we want to pick up our cross daily and all of the sacrifice that that requires to follow you. For, Lord, we know on that day when we see you face to face, And you shall say, well done, good and faithful servant, that it will all be worth it. And we trust that in you is abundant life. In surrender is abundant life. It's not in grasping for power and grasping for control. But it's in following you, Jesus, and in your way. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that we can trust you you are good, that you are sovereign, that you are God. And so, Lord, we don't fear to follow you to the cross, to take up our cross and follow you, Lord, daily. We trust that as we encounter you more in Scripture, as we encounter you more in our interactions with one another, in our quiet time and prayer with you, Lord, your way truly is the way to abundant life. That, Lord, we don't envy those who are pursuing the world, who are pursuing the comforts, the luxuries, who are pursuing the wealth, pursuing power, pursuing status. Lord, we don't look on them with envy. Instead, Lord, we look on them with pity, knowing what they're missing in you, Jesus, because we experience the fullness of life in you, in laying down ourselves, 
laying down our will, surrendering to you, Lord, committing to your way, and experiencing the peace that we have with you, the peace that we have with one another, the joy that we can have as we walk through suffering and pain, this deep, rich inner life that we can have with you, Lord. We are so thankful that Jesus... You are the way, the truth, and the life. And it is a privilege and an honor to follow you. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for just a few moments. Big idea again is that discipleship to Jesus begins with a complete life surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, <laughs> okay? So a lot of us consider ourselves to be disciples of Jesus, but we haven't surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. And in Jesus' view, that just doesn't make, that's not, that's not it, right? We can't have it a la carte. We can't pick and choose the ways of Jesus that we like and the ways that we don't. We can't read certain things in Scripture and say, I like that or I don't like that. I'm going to follow that. I'm not going to follow that. You can't. That's not the way of Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, Jesus says, you will deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I love that word picture. <laughs> Taking up your cross daily and just following close on the heels of Jesus wherever he goes. That's a picture of our life. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Whoever gives up their will, surrenders their life to Jesus, finds whole salvation, true, a true fullness of life in Jesus, that word implies. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? In our Western world, <laughs> this is one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus that we lose sight of so easily. Because we are tempted to pursue the good life with other pictures of the good life, of the big house, the boat, the nice car, the successful job. Have everything your way and have it now is the message that we hear time and time again. And so our... <laughs> In the midst of that culture that is forming us and has already formed us, our counterformation has to be that much stronger in the way of Jesus. To lay down our life for him daily. To be willing to sacrifice and forego those other pictures of the good life for the life of Jesus. It is not easy. But Jesus promises that if you lose your life, for him, that you'll save it. You'll find true, abundant life in that. Do you trust that? Do you trust that the way of Jesus is the way to true, abundant life? Because gaining the world isn't worth your whole inner life. It's not worth yourself in your relationship to God. But all around us, we see those who claim to be disciples of Jesus trading 
losing themselves, chasing after the things of the world. But that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus, discipleship, apprenticeship, I like the word apprenticeship too, to Jesus implies it begins with that surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Until then, we will not be discipled. Here's how we tend to think of our lives. So I thought of my life until I was 21 years old. We have all of these different categories of our life. We have our work life, our family life, our faith, our home life, our friends, self-care, all of these different pieces of our life that tend to occupy different spheres and different circles. Like when we go to work, it just kind of gets blended when you work from home, right? But <laughs> you go to work like you're in work-life zone, right? <laughs> That's different relationships, different people, different stuff. And then when you're done with work, maybe you go home and hang out with your family or you're at home and, or you have stuff with friends later that, that night. And that's, that's a different sphere of life. We tend to separate our life into all these different spheres. And so many times we hear sermons and we get the implication that, you know, what I need to do is just make that faith circle bigger. But like keep them all separate still is how we perceive of our life. Whereas the way of Jesus and the life of Jesus, oh, look at that graphic, man. I should have got into graphic design. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're like, John, you missed your calling. I know. <laughs> but instead, we should think of our life like this. Is how does Jesus, how, do our, how does our faith inform and fill in all of these things? How does our work, how do we perceive of work and participate in work as an act of worship to God? How do we, engage in our family life to, to help form our children more into the image of God? How do we love one another in our family so that we can better love one another in the church? How do we learn to love God better together as a family? How do I take care of myself in order to better worship God? It all falls into the, under the umbrella or within the circle of our life in Christ. Jesus is all-encompassing. So instead of just thinking, I want to make that faith circle bigger, everything falls under your faith in some capacity. How does it all work together under Jesus? How do I find theology for all of these other areas of my life? What does Jesus have to say about these? And I'm surrendering all of them to him. Here's some reflection questions. Basically, what we're getting at here is Who's on the throne of your life? Really? Really? Not just who you say is on the throne of your life when you're asked in church or in small group or what you know is the Christian answer to say Jesus is. Lord. When you say Jesus is Lord of my life, this is what you're asking, what you're saying, that I've surrendered all of myself to him. Every area of my life falls under Christ, under his authority, his leadership, his rule. So, do you approach scripture with the perspective of, do I think this is true? Do you get the difference? you get the nuance there? Or do you approach scripture as, this is true, I'm going to conform my life to it? Do you see the difference? If we approach scripture with, do I think this is true, we are the center of authority there, right? Not Jesus, not scripture, okay? 
Are you challenged by Scripture? When was the last time you read something you said, whew, whew, I need to work on that. <laughs> I need to align myself to that. I need to seek the Spirit of God to help form that in me because I can't do this on my own. When you face a new situation or a new dilemma or perhaps a question of what should I do, do you run it through the lens of what Jesus says you should do and think through the big picture things of like, how do I better love my neighbor? Does, how does that inform this decision? What does love of God and love of neighbor have to do with this decision? Even if it doesn't, Scripture doesn't tell you specifically, take this job. <laughs> you run it through that lens and say, what's God's will? What is God's will for me to do here? If it's an ethical situation, is God calling me to sacrifice and to give more? Is God calling me to pursue what is right and justice? So many times when people ask me those questions, I say, get alone with God and think and pray about it <laughs> and find what he's leading you to do there. Fourth, I find myself often explaining away or ignoring large portions of Jesus' teachings. When you read it in your daily devotional, you're just like, I'm just going to keep reading. <laughs> I'm not going to sit and think about that. I'm going to act like Jesus never said that. Or he didn't really mean that. What if Jesus was serious? I love it. Sky Jathani has a number of books by that title. What if Jesus was serious? What if he really meant what he said? On what we read today, like, I mean, does Jesus really want me to pick up my cross and follow him? I mean, he still wants me to be happy and live a comfortable life, right? Like, yeah, those two, <laughs> those two are different things, right? Again, discipleship to Jesus, it begins with complete life surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, as we reflect on those questions, we all come to this definitive moment in our life where we surrender all of ourselves to Jesus. The process of discipleship will find that time and time again, we're not living life surrendered to Jesus, and we'll have to go back and say, oh, yeah. I need to surrender that to Jesus. I, I messed up again. Thank for the conviction. And we go back to that. But until you come to this one crisis moment where you say, Jesus, you are Lord. There is no discipleship. There is no spiritual growth. We must first make that declaration and pr pursue Christ as Lord. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said on this. I'm going to close with this. He was a pastor in Germany in World War II, and he resisted the Nazis and the state church that fell under the umbrella of the Nazis. And he ended up being arrested and put to death. He ended up paying the ultimate sacrifice for, faithful, for being faithful to Jesus in the midst of a political and religious culture that deviated dramatically from the way of Jesus. He says this, the cross is laid on every Christian. Okay, this is a guy who knew what it meant. <laughs> this is a guy who knew what it meant to sacrifice for Jesus and for the authentic 
gospel. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, he says. But that's not the end of it. That's, that's the beginning of it. The beginning is surrendering everything to Jesus. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, here's the famous line that you probably heard. He bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. This is what he means. They left everything. They left their family, their job, their whole life to follow Jesus. And ultimately, they were martyred as followers of Jesus. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world where he was called to bring the church back to the truth of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, and to suffer for it. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. Lord, for all of us in here, God, would you, your spirit just stir in our hearts and call us. Bid us come and die that find that we might truly live in you, Jesus. We trust that in this death to self, in this giving of ourselves to you, Lord, that we find true abundant life in you. And so, Lord, we surrender all of ourselves to you. We give you every aspect of our lives. Our will is yours, Lord. Lead us, guide us. We want to follow you in everything. We no longer live, but Christ lives within us, we declare. Lord, may this moment be a turning moment for so many of us that, Jesus, we would surrender all to you and follow you wholeheartedly. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing a little bit more in worship to our Savior before we close.